Welcome to The Changeable, my collection of conversations about the big ideas shaping our future. The ideas we will see tomorrow are directly connected to how we organize people into teams today. When even the smallest teams are given a clear purpose and are armed with the tools to succeed, they can deliver what seems impossible. With the future depending on organizations to implement change, what does that mean for you and me? Today, I'm with Scott Williams. He's the author of the Atomic Innovation Handbook and founder of 10% Labs, a producer and publisher of thought-leading innovation and transformation content based in Sydney, Australia. Scott, welcome. Thanks, Ray. So good to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me. So we've, we've actually spoken a lot about organisations, how to get value and deliver great things regardless of the size of teams. But organisations and how they deliver has been pretty central to your career. Where do you start a career like that? Oh, look, I, for me, it started in delivery, right? It started in um, project and, and product management, being the, the person in the trenches with the teams trying to get stuff done. Um, I don't think you have to start there, but for me, that's where it came from. Um, but what that sparked, at least for me, was... Um, experiencing all the roadblocks and the overhead and just all the crap that gets in your way, right? Trying to do this and I can't do it because of this reason or that reason and I can't, I don't know why and it doesn't make any sense. So I think for, for anybody who um, has gone through that, right? You've tried to do something and you can't do it. You don't understand why. It doesn't make any sense. This is stupid. Um, that's how I think you can start to get into, you start to look for new ways to do things. There's got to be a, a way to get around this. There's got to be a new technique. There's got to be a new methodology I can learn. There's got to be a new practice I can pick up from somebody. Um, and for me, what I found was I actually liked fixing, I loved fixing those problems, not just like loved it, right? Getting in, getting in there and be like, I can make this better, right? I can fundamentally change something, but not, not just change it, but also look at, you know what, I, there's got to be a way to do this that nobody's ever done before. Right? right. How can I really innovate? Yeah. Um, how teams work together, how people get things done, how organizations work. And um, so push the boundaries on how you can get things done. Think about things differently. Pull, pulling ideas from other areas that you not, wouldn't normally think of. Well, this part of a business or this company's doing something has nothing to do with us, but how can I translate that? to what I need to do or what I need, uh, need to get done, what an organization needs to do. That's a really interesting point. I think a lot of times we think of innovation as this thing that the guys that, that sit on the, the beanbags oh, do. Yeah. Um, and often I think that kind of limits the way we think about stuff or at least try and solve those problems yeah. or address things in different ways. Yeah. So... When you're looking at that, that sort of thing, what are, what are some of the areas that you've used to find new things to, to adopt or to, to think about or to, to find those innovations? Yeah, look, I mean, the easiest place to start is to look at the, look at the trends uh, sort of with what people are doing around ways of working and, and structures and process in your own area. Um, that's the easiest thing to do because you, 
you're going to understand it the easiest. It doesn't take as much time to deep dive into and, and figure out what they're talking about. You just kind of get it and it clicks. So you can, you can start there, but that's only going to get you so far. Um, my favorite one, honestly, and the one that I use all the time, is trying to speak to someone in a different industry, a different role, different kind of company with different regulations and, and all the things are different, right? different size, everything. Um, but not speak to them about what they do. So like, have you encountered a problem like X, Y, or Z, right? What did you do about it? How did you go about it? 50% um, of the time, the answer they give, once I get the understanding of what the hell they're talking about, right? I don't understand that what your industry at all, but I get uh, solving a problem like that and how you did it. Um, and then taking a step back and giving yourself the time to absorb it and look at it as a, okay, well, I can't do exactly that, right? Because that's not the context that I work in. But there's got to be some little nugget, some little spark in there. Like I'm saying, okay, but what if I took this bit? And then I know there's this other thing that I've been learning that people are doing. And what if I plugged that into it? Um, and then I take this other thing that I, I know works. And I'm going to plug that into it too because there's just something that has to be there. But to me, that is innovation. And going back to your, your the people in the bean bags, right? Um, we can sit in bean bags too, yeah, right. And think about that little stuff of some. There's this thing that's happening over here. It's never been applied over here before, right? So we're going to take it. We're going to figure out how to apply it over here. And to me, that is the definition of innovation. And I don't care if it's a product, a process, a policy, whatever it is, an org structure doesn't matter. Um, I'm taking something that works in one place, I'm applying it in a context where it's never been applied before, and I'm tweaking it to fit that context. Right. And I'm sure it's you that said something like this. Innovation is something that hasn't existed before or hasn't been used in that way before. And Yeah. There's a phrase, anyway. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure you've added it in my presence before. But um, so... Going back to organizations, I think it'd be really interesting to understand. I mean, I think there's so many, and the more that I work with different um, businesses and organizations, you, you do tend to see organizations and companies feel as though they're different. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to applying things, sometimes you get that resistance of, well, you know, either we've done it before or that's way out of out of the realm that comes from somewhere else right right don't really know about that could never work here yeah exactly um so you do tend to see commonalities of approaches in organizations or even things that contrast what are some of the things what are some of those commonalities that that you might have encountered that um either allow for that innovation to really explode or probably even holds it back yeah could you share any, any perspective on that? Yeah, look, I th there are a few things that come to mind uh, when you think about that. I mean, the contrast, for sure, um, they're, they're out there, but the, the contrast themselves, to be honest, tend to be a bit boring, right? They're mechanical, right. right? This company is a different size. Okay, great. Well, then they have to do stuff differently, right? They're heavily regulated. They're not so heavily regulated. So they can, this company can just get away with a bit more because there's not as many people walking, watching over their shoulder. Right. Um, so the contrasts are usually pretty self-explanatory and not that interesting, but the commonalities that I've seen of what can either propel your innovation efforts where you think you want them to go or hold you back 
to, to use what you said. Um, usually the first one is, do you have a definition in your organization of what innovation even means to you? And, and that, I think yeah. that comes back to the beanbag analogy, right? So if your idea of innovation in the organization is a skunk works team building new products that may or may not disrupt some part of your industry and that's innovation to you. Well, then be clear about that, right? So that everybody knows. So that when the CEO goes and stands up in front of a town hall and says, we're an innovative company, I'm, I encourage everybody to think more innovatively, right? Um, then the ops guy, right, who isn't on the beam, but I sit in the corner like, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not in the skunk works and I don't do product. So I, definition of what innovation means to you and what it means in the organization, this is what it means, right? Mm. And how to apply it and where it applies because there is a, a practical aspect to it and it doesn't always apply to every part of the business. Sure. It can, but it doesn't have to. Just be clear what you mean. So that's one. Uh, and I think once you get that definition clear, it really opens it up for everybody to understand how they can contribute. Okay, so let's just sidebar on that then because I probably threw in the beanbag analogy a bit too early, but um, <laughs> those businesses that don't do that, what, what are we really talking about there? Because we're actually talking about something, uh, an organization that opens a view on what innovation can be to any context? Is that kind of where, where you think that uh, goes? Because can, that's kind of really interesting. Yeah, look, it can, it, can it, op it can open it up to any context. But I think the real impact is that it becomes meaningless. It's okay. not that it opens it up too wide. It just becomes meaningless in the organization. It just becomes a tagline that's used in the press or that is used to make, try to make people feel better about their jobs that they already have. Um, so it, in order to make it meaningful, at least in my view, people have to know how they can contribute to it or can't, yeah. or that it's not my problem. Mm. Right? And that's okay too, but what does this mean for me? How can I contribute to it? Because I really believe that the way to drive engagement in people is giving them the opportunity to do something that they think is valuable, that makes a difference, has some meaning to them and to others. Um, so if we don't define innovation very clearly, you say, go be innovative. I don't, I have no idea what that means. How, how does that apply to me? Um, but if, if, if you adopt a definition, you know, very clearly, it says, look, here's what innovative is, right? You're always looking for ways to do things better and where applicable, you're pulling things from other areas and adapting to what you do and it's better than it was yesterday, even by just a little bit. That's what we mean by innovation. Off you go. Then everybody can be like, oh, cool, I'm being innovative because we decided to change this little process and it's better and it, the output is better, and we feel better, and that's innovative because that's how we've defined it. Yeah. And it just gives people the chance to participate and understand what they're doing uh, and how they're playing as part of the game. Um, I, I think once you have that in place, um, it, it, it is a bit of a cliche, but the uh, visible support and tangible support, if that's a thing, uh, from the leaders in the business, absolutely critical. Innovation efforts will fail if the CEO and the C COO and CFO and all the leaders, the people, um, quote unquote, leaders in the business 
are not just talking about it, but physically demonstrating in meetings that they mean it, backing it up with action, um, because it will absolutely fall over if one time somebody goes out of their comfort zone and they push the boundaries and they try something innovative and they get their hand slapped. Nobody else is going to try it. Because at the end of the day, they're protecting their bonuses, they're protecting their jobs. They don't. Sometimes they might be a bit scared. There's going to be a few mavericks who will just keep doing it anyway, but they would have done it regardless. But most of the people are looking for that. Is this really okay? Right. So um, that engagement from people in the organization who can have the most impact on it really has to be there. Right. So it's permission. It's empowerment. It's giving them giving them license. Giving them. The, the, the broader organization license to follow those paths and be Life, not only Not only license to do it, but direct engagement from the leaders showing that they're... Encouraging it, yeah. Encouraging it, sometimes participating in it. Um, just whatever it takes for them to show that these people did this. It might have worked, it might not have worked. Um, it might just be a little thing, but we're going to celebrate it. Um, it's okay, right? Keep going. That kind of stuff is critical. You got to have it. Uh, and then when you get beyond that, I mean, if, if you get those two things, you're ninety percent of the way there, right? Because you'll there's always the there's the three groups in the organization, right? There's the the mavericks I talked about. They're just going to go do crazy stuff because they like to do crazy stuff, and that's just the way it is. And they'll always do it, no matter what company they're in. And if they can't do crazy stuff, they'll go somewhere else and do yeah, it. They want to break stuff. They, absolutely, they want to break stuff. They love it. Right, and that's great. There's there's the other extreme, the people who will never do that, no matter how much license you give them, and that's okay too. It's you fine. need people that's, who are going to follow process and if you're make sure it's right. If you want people to, you know, you hear this phrase, "Bring your whole self to work." Well, it's their whole self, not our version of what their whole self should be. <laughs> so, bring your whole yeah. self, and if that's not you, that's fine. But the majority of the organization, usually. Um, and the majority of teams usually want to do that stuff. They want to deliver value. They want to push the boundary. They want to do something exciting, right? That excitement is a big part of it. It's what kind of keeps people engaged. Um, but they're not going to do it if you don't have those, those two things. And beyond that, then you start talking about, well, what, are the, what frameworks or systems are we going to put in place for the people who've never done this before uh, to help them on their journey, right? What... Um, what clear and executable strategy are we going to put in place so that people know where the boundaries are? Right? Um, we're a company that makes MRI machines. Probably not going to accept the innovation of toasters and how our technology goes into toasters because that's just not what we do. Right? Let's define a strategy to figure out what we can do. Um, and then the last, it's not the most important piece, but it is definitely an important piece I think a lot of people forget about, and that is you have to be able to demonstrate regular and consistent progress. Not wins, not all wins and not all losses, just progress, steps forward, um, pivots around roadblocks, whatever it is, and you have to be able to show it to the board. The board of directors have to understand it because I promise you, one year in, gone. If you can't show <laughs> progress, they will cut funding. Yep. Because that's their job, right? We're, we're not playing this game anymore. You've got to be able to show that progress and you've got to be able to show it to your board or they're just going to cut your legs off. So showing and demonstrating value. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot to unpack in all of that. Like clearly there's, there's broader requirements to having an approach to innovation or change mm -hmm. that can be broad enough so that people feel involved, but narrow enough to mean that it's defined in a, in a way that you can kind of put your hands around and you can, it's a bit tangible. Yeah. So it's not just go innovate. Whoa. <laughs> and then what, what's the framework really around that? Mm -hmm. And then how people, people would be able to practically work within that. That's right. And, and look, I think, I think that's the real tension, right? Like most organizations exist of a fa in a fashion that they might have possibly even for centuries and the future constantly beckons them to adjust in some way, whether they want to or not. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is the people within the organization. Oh, yeah. So it's not just, I guess, the, those bellwether people who want to go, well, we do need to innovate, let's kind of drag everyone along. It's also the others who might be a bit reticent or a bit, uh, what, are we, what are we actually going to lose when we do this? Mm -hmm. And that can sometimes be because you may, it may be the thing, it may be existential, you, you might have to do Absolutely. this sort of thing. So yeah. I guess, you know, I've, I've written this down, but change happens slowly then it happens all at once seems to be a sort of i'm not paraphrasing paraphrasing someone's quote there yeah but given what you what you've observed and what you and where you see things going and i've kind of put a number on this what are three things individuals in organizations what do they need to consider as the world seems to be constantly shifting because i I'm excited by change, but I have worked with and know so many people who are worried about the future, like, and for good reason, but what are, what are some of the ways that we can help encourage people who might be fearful about what's next? You know, there's AI, it's going to chew everyone's job up, there's, you know, all sorts of platforms and automations that are going to come out and basically mean no one will have a job. So that's the scaremongering part. Yeah. But what does that mean for people and how can they, how can they look at where, yeah. where they can be involved in change in a positive way? In a positive way. Yeah, you know, look, I, my advice usually, if I, if I had to narrow it down to a top three, um, I think that, like, yes, some change can be, scary um i mean not all change is bad you, you hear that a lot right change is hard well not all change is hard right. if i designed it and it benefits me and it doesn't cause me any effort well change is pretty easy right they're okay sometimes those happen they're only talking about the ones where that's not the case but it can be hard but for me i think trying to help people on the journey of thinking about and considering why do you do what you do? What, what is it that you're trying to produce, right? Not your job. Don't right. tell me what your job is. Yep. Don't, uh, don't, cause that's contextual to the company and what you got hired to do and what your job description says, and maybe what you're allowed to do a little bit around the edges. Um, but why, 
right? Um, I don't, I'm one of billions of people on the planet who are big fans of Simon Sinek. And if you've read right. his book, The yeah. uh, Infinite Game. Yeah, love it. For those who haven't read it, read it. Awesome. Um, but he talks about a, a just cause, right? And right. I've tried to purpose. adopt that, a purpose, right? What, yeah. So what's your purpose, right? So, um, and, and forget about job and forget about title and forget about just why do you do what you do and why do you love to do what you do? And then think about the change in the context of that. And as much as you possibly can, try to be impartial. And it's hard. You may have to, you know, this, you may have to wait two days after the change. Don't try to do it five minutes after you found right. out. But give yourself a little time. Um, but try to think about, so is this change in some way going to prevent you from doing that, from achieving your purpose or not? Right. Right. Not the detail. You used to talk to Jim and now you talk to Bob. Annoying because, you know, it's Bob. But... <laughs> Uh, is it really going to stop you from doing what you love to do and, and prevent you from doing it uh, according to why you do it and what you love about it and your purpose? Um, because if you can't come up with any real definitive reasons why it's going to stand in your way, what the hell are you worrying about? It, it's probably going to be okay. There are going to yeah. be some annoyances. But you're here to do something that you love to do. You're probably doing it because you love to do it. Um, or you're doing it because you think it's going to take you to a place and to doing something that you love to do sure. uh, on your journey. But if it's not going to stop you from that, is it that big of a deal? Mm. Uh, let, let's maybe focus on something else. Right. So that's number one. Uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that it's easy, um, but that's where I would start. Past that, though, um, I think to the, the other important thing, especially in an organization and in a team, uh, if you want um, everything to work well, you can't discount the power of just the relationships that you have inside of an organization or in a group or whatever it is. So I think to consider maintaining relationships, consider the context you're in. Um, there's a little bit of principle of charity here. Um, at least at first, assume the change wasn't made to purposefully hurt you individually, right? right? There wasn't, you know, the, the board of directors wasn't sitting in a room and saying, that Scott guy, we're going to get him, right? Well, in my case, they probably would, but <laughs> other people, they're probably not sitting there and saying, Ray, we're going to get that Ray guy, and we're going to do Make this his whole change just to screw him over. While not impossible, probably unlikely, right? So... Um, Consider the context you're in. Try not to burn any bridges, right? There's no need to go off and yell at people and um, lose your mind. Um, startups are going to make different decisions in corporates. They're going to, it was made for a reason. Even if you don't agree with that reason, there's always a reason. Try to find out what the reason is as best you can. You're not always not going to know the story. The largest organization, you don't know everything. But try to find out what you can. Why was this decision made? Uh, within what context were the people operating who made it at mm. the time that they made it? Try to put yourself in their shoes um, and, and understand why the change is required. Right? You may not like it, but here's why we had to do it. And I think doing that um, means that you're going to maintain a, a bit of a support network uh, to get through the change. Because yeah. you're going to find other people who are thinking like you. Um, it guaranteed 100% you are not the only person in the organization having that same thought. And if you can maintain those relationships and 
um, just think about that context. Uh, I think it will help. And then I think to me, then it leads to the third thing, which is it helps others give you the same courtesy. Hmm. Right? So uh, if I'm, if, if I'm understanding and I'm trying to find out, I'm not, I'm, I'm not losing my mind. I'm really trying to understand this here. I'm not really happy about it, but help me figure this out. Um, then I think all the people that we're doing that with will give me a little room to be upset. Right. right. They'll give me a little space. Um, and, uh, to just get my head around it. Um, and what it also does then I think is with that space, you can sort of turn that into, uh, okay. Um, maybe then when it's my turn to implement a change, I'm going to take all those learnings and say, well, I'm going to communicate a little better. I'm going to uh, now look at my practices and how I do things to make them smaller and make the risks smaller. Um, Because then the impact of any change that I might be a part of is going to be less for other people and they're not going to get as stressed as me. Right. right? And they're going to appreciate that. So I think there's a bit of a reciprocal thing here. Um, But it's... uh, I don't know that there's any special trick, right? Um, some breathing exercise you can do to get you through <laughs> some hard change. I think you have to um, really think about and, and try to honestly think about, does this really matter? And mm. is this going to stop me from doing what I love to do? Um, can, I, can I really take a moment and just understand um, and figure out what I can do about it and then adapt that in how I might go through the rest of my job, the rest of my career, and, and, and extend that right. into my life. I mean, even even in um, even in those situations, I've also seen people who have followed that pattern and also been given the ability to not push back, but kind of do a yes and. Yeah. Where and and this, I'm sure this happens a lot because I've seen it. Where in an, inside an organization, the people who make the hand, the hand down the judgments um, decide on something, and that change does come, and people do get upset. And I've seen, but I've also seen in in the best cases, people go, um, "Actually, did you consider these areas after yeah. maybe taking those breaths and having that space to then?" I guess, further educate and make that picture more full. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, that's part of a mindset that approaches things that might come in the future in a way that allows for something better to, to come into existence, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And, look, that, I mean, I, I, I love what you're talking about there around the, the yes and or the did you, did you consider. Because um, there's this, I don't know, there, I mean, uh, we're human, so we tend to operate in extremes, right? It's really bad this way. Right. There's no chance we're stopping in the middle. We're going all the way extreme the other way because yep. that's the only way to fix a problem. Um, but there's this, uh, I don't know, there's this assumption that everything has to be co-created and everything has to be done uh, with complete consensus by the group and everybody had a say, right? Right. Okay. That's just crap. <laughs> That's not reality, right? No, it isn't. So do I want to get um, 
do I want to collect as much information as I can when, when I'm making a change? Absolutely. Do I want to speak to a representative group? And, but not every idea is going to get heard. Uh, if it does get heard, it might be like, yeah, but no, right? Um, just not going to do that. So there, there is, a, there is a, an obligation on the side of any entity implementing a change, whether it's a team or a company or whatever it is, um, to get that information. And when they roll out that change to say, this is the change as it exists today. Mm. But if we learn something new tomorrow, we'll change again. Right. right. So it's okay. So just so you know, we think we got this 80% right. So we're just telling you that right up front. So when you come to us and say, you didn't think about, yeah, I know we told you we missed 20%. Right. Thank you for telling us. Now we'll, we'll see how that fits in. So how do we do that? Um, but to accept the uh, awesome right to be able to do that and have that voice, you have to also accept that sometimes your ideas just don't get included. And for some reason, people just have to say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah, that kind of speaks to... Uh, a lot of interesting wrinkles in you know how you go how you go about different things i mean from one side from a from a leader side yeah. it's how do you how do you accommodate voices but not in a perspective that's yours yes right and and i see that a lot where you might have a stakeholder someone who signs the checks who feels it's their absolute obligation to make the decision on behalf of other people without necessarily having that inside, you know, and you see that a lot with, you know, I'm the customer, um, which is a bit of a quote that you hear every now and then, yeah. um, where, you, well, they may be the customer right. or maybe they just think they know who the customer is. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, how do you gather that and make sure that you're always doing the best thing and not just either the expedient thing or the thing that I thought of? Yeah. Um, that's such a real friction point because you've got yeah. organizations with people who are at the helm for good reason, yeah. deep experience, knowledgeable about certain things. So, you know, as you know, organizations change, customers shift yeah. in terms of their needs and requirement their demographics yeah. then all of a sudden you've got these leaders who know very deeply certain things and some of those things may not be right anymore so yeah. there's that side but then you've got the the you know other parts of the organization who want to have a voice don't want to have a voice um, get brought along that journey yeah there's just so many parts to making something work i i'm i'm so often surprised that there's so much done in organizations <laughs> to be honest yeah look it can be really hard it can be really hard to get things done um i was listening uh i remember it was a couple of weeks ago i was listening to some podcast or something and actually somebody talked about it, it wasn't in this context at all right? it was a completely different context but just as just as i was listening to you talking it kind of sort of reminded me of it of that um you know uh someone who's sort of given or, or, or permitted the responsibility to make decisions on behalf of others, right? It's mm. an awesome responsibility that people yeah. have to take seriously. Um, and you should go out and, and 
and uh, we want people to gather as much information as they can and make informed decisions, right? Not, I think, not data driven. I think that that term is sort of uh, not preferred anymore. Was it data informed? I think is the preferred term now. Um, and we want people to test assumptions and all of that. But it was listening to somebody saying, actually, rather than pretending our biases don't exist, the very first thing we do is we just lay our biases on the table. Right. Right. Here they are. Yeah. I think this, this, and this is true. Right. And you do the same and you do the same. Right. And we've, we've talked about it now. So we all know where we're coming from. Now we can set those aside. And when I hear you talk about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, now I know why he's thinking this, why, why somebody else is thinking that, why she took that decision. Yeah, that's um, a really interesting approach. And, um, I, I know it's, it's not exactly what we're talking about, but it just reminded me of that. Um, let's just call it out. People mm. have their own biases. They're never going to get rid of them. You, nobody's good enough to just be like, I've removed all my biases. It's just never going to happen. Yeah, true. So um, let's call them out. Then, as somebody who does have that awesome responsibility of making a decision, um, it comes back to the, the framework and systems that we put in place. Yeah, um, yeah. It, this is going to sound too extreme. It's almost like the rule of law for organization, <laughs> right? No one is above the process. Mm, yes. So there's, and I don't mean processes and like click this button, step two, step three, step four. Right. Nobody cares about that. No. Um, but it's that principle-based process of saying, this is how we go about making decisions. We've defined it. And that's always a bit of a journey. Even if the journey is very, very short and takes two minutes, it's still a journey. You just went through that whole journey in two minutes, and mm. that's fine. And at every point along that journey, you have to be able to demonstrate certain information. Right. right? And if you don't have the information, you have to go get it. And if you don't know how to go get it, here's some tools and techniques mm. on how to go get it. So that's the framework I'm talking about. And that, that rule of law is nobody's above the, the CEO can't just come and say, go do this. Okay, sure. Did you go through the process to make that decision? Tell us why. Tell us who for. Absolutely. Tell us, yes. All the things that that, that make uh, for good ways of working and good process for that kind of thing, to for validation, data-informed decisions. Um, that's where the framework comes in, like we talked about earlier. Mm. And uh, it's one of the other things that you just, you know, those commonalities that if you don't have it, you're likely to run into trouble because now somebody has implemented a change. Mm. Uh, that change required a decision. They didn't follow our process for making the decision, which would have told them to go get certain information along the way, probably would have saved themselves a lot of headache. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's, there's something in that too. Yeah, and I guess to go off script a little bit, I guess what we're really talking about here is certainty versus risk, right? Yeah. And, I mean, any time you're looking forward, yeah. you really don't know where things might go. That's right. And there's this underlying assumption, I feel like there's an underlying assumption in most ways of going about business that certainty is the expectation. Oh, it's 100%. As yeah. opposed to, no, there's actually a level of risk here, regardless of how, how confident you feel in the outcomes of anything. That's right. Whether that's the outcome of the thing you're trying to do or, or any of the permutations of putting those things together right. as you get towards that. So there's a level of risk that people need to be comfortable with. Yeah. How do you, how do people look to do, look to address that? There's only one way I've found um, personally 
uh, to be effective. Mm. Um, and it isn't just talking about it and it isn't just asking people to be uh, more open to taking risks and things like that. Right. There are people whose jobs, careers are to not let that kind of thing risk. happen. Yeah. Right. Um, and they take great pride in it and they're very good at what they do and they're there for a reason. The only way I've been able to address it in any effective way is by adopting um, practices and procedures and just ways of doing things that force people to break things down, break those risks down, those decisions down into the smallest possible chunk that you can, right? Um, and it takes little effort, and it might delay the decision by 10 minutes or two hours or whatever it is. Um, but there, and the, it's not the risk, it's the impact. Of, it's the impact, right? It's a yes. potential impact. Yes. Right? There's this risk, and if we're wrong, all this could happen. Yes. So, um, okay, well, how could we make it that so that only some of that happens? Right. Right. Well, we could, well, the easiest way to do that is just make the decision smaller. Let's only decide this part. Yes. Right? Yes. And then if if that goes wrong, okay, nobody may even notice. And if they do, the impact is tiny. And it, but we're going to make that decision. And then as soon as we know whether that works, we're going to make the next part of it. And then mm. the next part of it. And it it sounds easier than it is. You have to spend time to figure out how you can break it down and how do you sequence those decisions. Yes. Um, but it's the only way I've been able to do it because otherwise you're still going to have big risks that have potentially huge impacts. Um, and to your point, there's best of my knowledge, no human born that can predict the future um, tomorrow, let alone six months from now. Yes. Um, we don't know what's going to happen on the second Tuesday at four o'clock, six months from now. We just don't know. Um, we don't know how much money we're going to spend um, in three months, let alone in a week, really. So, Let's break all that stuff down to the smallest possible chunk so that the potential impact is smaller. And I think you will find that for most people, um, all of the apprehension tends to go away when you say, okay, well, we're going to do this. And if we're wrong, breakfast is five minutes late. Really? Okay. Come to me when you have something important. Right. Awesome. And we're going to make the next decision and the next one and the next one and the next one. And if nothing else happens, most of the people who would create the noise or be really worried or be seriously impacted, they just, they get on, they go away and they do something else. They do something more valuable because they just don't care anymore. Mm. And they don't care because the impact of the risk has been reduced because you made it smaller. And I, I the more we can do that, I think the better. Yeah. Oh, that's really, that's really helpful. And I think that, that certainly kind of mitigates not just risk, but I suppose concern and anxiety and a whole bunch of other things that go along with that. It does. And, and it can be applied everywhere, right? It, it doesn't, um, you know, there will be some, I'm sure, who will say, well, we can't do that with this decision. It's all in or nothing. And it's massive. Is it really? Have you spent five minutes thinking about perhaps another way to approach this. Um, because most of the time, in my experience, you can find something that mm. cuts it in half. Mm. And then you cut it in half again. Yeah. And then you cut it in half again. And um, do you get it down to that smallest chunk where, okay, well, 
we can do this and then we'll do that at any time we can back out um, and if we, when we do reach the point where we can't back out of this decision anymore we've learned so much that we're like yeah we're good let's go mm. so alongside all of this it's got me thinking and I mean you brought up uh, Simon Sinek's book um, The Infinite Game before and just for those who haven't read that yet or um, haven't heard it um, he's basically talking about it, it boils down to there's two types of games right so there's there's an infinite game and a finite game and most games that are important are infinite games yeah. and games is a loose definition there's lots of games in his um, in his approach so for example basketball's a game yeah. there's rules the rules are known to the, t the sides who compete. Um, there's a time. There's, there's score. So people are keeping score. The, the people who, at the end of the time, have the highest score are the winners. There's lots of games like that. And they're finite games. But infinite games are ones that never end, except for those times when the competitors can no longer play in the game. Yeah. So in that case... Our lives are part of an infinite game and he goes into that in the book um, being in business is part of an infinite game where an organization for one reason or another may no longer exist and can no longer be part of that game and the more you speak about things like breaking them down in chunks in an almost iterative fashion kind of finding a level of value to deliver building on that, building on that, building on that, but doing it in a way that's risk-averse or not risk-averse, risk-minimizing. Yeah. It speaks to, um, I guess, a more broad approach to we need this project done. We need it done in six months. We need it done for this amount of money. And I'm not saying that what you're suggesting is a polar opposite of that, but... It kind of goes counter, it's, it's counter to how to successfully shift from one yeah. state to another, yeah. um, that there's certainty in timeline, certainty in budget, certainty in yeah. that sort of approach, yeah. where the real changes seem to happen, and you see it a lot more in startups than you do anywhere else. You, you've found a new path, and as they call it, they pivot. Or, you know, things find, you know, like water, finds the least resistance and finds that path. That's right. um, and a lot of organizations seem to just want to just put their head down and just go really just hard. Go. Um, do, you see, do you see any changes coming in that? Or do you see more of, more of um, I guess, senior leaders or, or people just in general going, huh, we, we do it this certain way but I mean all of that's driven by finance or by some but not sure. necessarily outcome or value that's right which can take you in all sorts of other directions are people wising up to that or are people kind of realizing that there is that I guess contrast between those two states look my experience has been um in some parts of organizations and in some teams, depending on what their responsibilities are, yes. 
usually the higher you go up the food chain, um, while there may be a recognition of it, and they'll openly say it, we've been doing this for years and it's not working, there's a, either an unwillingness or an inability, mm-hmm. literally an inability to do it differently. So my approach to it um, and what I started doing was not trying to convince them to do it differently. Hmm. How can I work within their probably legitimate restrictions and asks, but still accomplish what we talked about earlier? So when somebody comes to me and says, I need it done in six months and I need it to cost this much money, fantastic. No problem. And I totally understand you needing to know how much money you're going to spend. Sure. Because we can't go crazy. I need you to, and I totally understand you wanting to know what you're going to get out of it before you do it because you've got other things Absolutely. you can do. So it's not an unreasonable request. No. So we can't, we can't fight that. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm, and yeah. I, don't, I just want to say I'm not saying yeah. that. So but, anyone, anyone who's thinking it. But. Yeah. But, so, but what I'll do is I'll turn around and say, okay, that's great. So this it you're talking about, have, what's it? I, I, I need the project. Right. What's the project, right? Um, and, and this is where you can start to, f- I think, weave in the conversation around, okay, let's, let's maybe talk about something else. In six months, you want to have what? Okay, well, in six months, I want to have this. No problem. We'll give you that in six months. What will it look like? It'll look like that. Yeah, but what am I going to see? You're, you're going to see that, right? Uh, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll take care of the it, the mechanics. Yes. You're going to get that in six months. Or you're going to know immediately if at any point we don't think you can have that for that amount of money and that amount of time. Right. So um, give us a budget and give us a timeline and help us define it. Mm. Right. But we're going to be part of that conversation. And then you can start to weave in the outcomes and, and all of that rather than focusing on um, project plans up front mm. and you focus on shifting that conversation around the word it yes. in that statement. Yeah. Yeah. So once you've worked out the why, you're really trying to define the what. That's right. And leave the how kind of a little bit looser to kind of allow for you to. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And most of the time, I mean, if you think about it with more traditional approaches to say running projects or work that's giving to groups of teams that's typically what happens anyway um, right you know even in the most hierarchical organizations it'll come down from on high the ceo tells this group executive to do this who tells the director to do this who tells the team to do this and then the team get on with it and every once in a while there's a report that goes back up the chain so even in those situations they're not getting involved in the day-to-day anyway mm. so let's work within their constraints absolutely you can have this outcome and here's how we're going to approach it most of the time they don't care right? As long you're reporting back progress, even if it's a red, amber, green status report right. and the team are, are showing what they're doing and they're communicating. You're, you're, yep. You're still going to get this. Um, the folks who might be uh, either more shy about adopting more progressive ways of approaching things, don't understand them or just literally can't still get what they need. The business can still operate within what are probably realistic constraints. Mm. And the teams can be trained to do all the things we talked about, about breaking things down and de-risking them 
uh, and all of those more modern ways of approaching things uh, to make their own decisions and to implement those changes in a way that come back come back full circle and don't piss off the entire organization. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there's a fascinating juggling act in all of that. Absolutely. To to manage that all the way through and doing it in a way that I guess enables something not just to fall in line with a definition of complete that mm -hmm. may come with that sort of project approach, yeah. but to do something better than that. And I feel like that's probably that next level of, I guess, operating. It is. That, that pretty much most organizations can attain if, if they really follow those sorts of approaches you're talking about. Yeah, they can. They can attain it. Um, and it almost always just takes proof. Um, yeah. Walking into, a, into an executive team meeting and just saying, um, we're going to work this new way. Don't you worry about it. We'll give you what you need. Uh, no, because I'm meeting with the chair next week and they're going to want some answers and I can't go in there and look like I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. That's not proof. That's just the way it works. Yeah. Um, but there are ways that you can, okay, well, that, that teams or people or, or whatever can say, well, we've been tasked with implementing this potential change, whether it's a change internally, a change to our customers, a change in the market, our partners, whatever it is. Um, and we think we have ways to do this that are better than what we did before mm. that will de-risk it. Um, we're going to show you. Uh, we're going to start like this, and we're going we're gonna to do two things. We're going to do all the crazy stuff we want to get rid of for you to keep you comfortable, and at the same time, we're going to do this. We're going to show you we can deliver. And then the next time, uh, we're going to do a little bit less of that, but we're going to pull you in, and we're going to show you how it's working, and we're going to deliver again. Um, and we feel confident that we can deliver because we have these new ways of working that have de-risked everything. We're making smaller decisions. Therefore, the impacts of us being wrong are less, and we can respond faster. Um, and then it, it will just sort of naturally evolve if you if you do it well it can it can and usually will naturally evolve into actual trust and not trust based upon experience or degree or anything else it's trust based on ray said he could do this how do you know he's going to do it well he's done it three times already i, I know he's going to do it i'm going to go worry about something else yeah because he's already proven it to me and however he it brain needs to prove it to me. He's proven it to me, so I trust him. So I want to move on to somebody else that I don't trust, and they can do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's exciting, hmm. and uh, something worth considering. So, I guess to to kind of bring it back to the future. Yeah. Um, how do you see the next ten years? What does that look like to you? Um, if you're going to put your crystal ball hat on your your prognostication uh paraphernalia um what does it look like what's coming what do you think is coming and how are you going to prepare to meet yeah that yeah in your in your realm in your career you know as a person yeah look if if i look into the future and, and the things that i'm most excited about and privately worried about, um, if you, if you if worried is the right word, or, or things that are on my mind, um, is I think 
even just looking at whether it's five years, 10 years, there's going to be more of a push into decentralized organization, DAOs, decentralized autonomous organization. Right. Right. I think people are going to slowly and carefully start experimenting with that more and more. And it may be kind of similar to what we talked about with delivery earlier, which is very now focused and tactical, but just weaving little bits of it in into the narrative. And sometimes people, you know, higher-ups in organizations may not even realize what's happening. It's just kind of happening in the background, and they don't even notice it until it's too late. Um, but when I first started getting involved in them, it freaked me out. Right? And my first response when I was uh, starting to learn about DAOs and, and things like that was like, this is never going to work. I'm sorry, but no, right? So just, like, just really quickly, uh, and just to be clear, would you mind just outlining what a DAO is, whether people understand what yeah, that so a, a type DAO of organization at, is? At a high level, it stands for, and I'm no expert, right? Yeah. Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And it's flipping the script on hierarchy and decision-making. Mm. It's been popular, popularized a lot in, in the blockchain because... It has. The tech kind of says it affords that ability. Anyway, yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Supposedly. Yes. Um, and, you know, uh, everybody gets a voice and there's tokens and you can vote and all that. Yeah, there's weird stuff that happens that I still don't know how it's going to work. Right. But I'm excited about the possibilities. So it, it, it's just flipping the script on uh, organizational structure, decision-making, yes. authority and responsibility, and literally distributing that out mm. into the masses, right, in various ways. Mm. That's what it means. And, and in my mind, if I had to summarize it, that's really what it's all about. There's lots of mechanics sitting behind it, but it is about literally turning it on its head and saying we're not going to have a typical structure with a typical hierarchy and decisions get made this way up the tree. And this is how far they have to go depending on their delegations. All that stuff goes away, and we're distributing it out into the masses, whatever that mass is, whether it's an organization, it's a community, mm. right? Whatever that is. And um, the thinking being that what we're going to end up with is uh, less overhead, less cost potentially. Mm. We don't need that hierarchy anymore. Faster decision-making and more informed decision-making because we're building in the insights to make decisions that you and I talked about earlier that sometimes you have to some other way figure out how right. for a decision maker to get because the people making the decision or, or contributing to making that decision are the ones you would have got the insights from. Yes, and what I understand about DAOs as well is quite often the decisions that certain areas of that DAO may be involved in making the decisions on are the ones that impact them. That's right. So I guess going along with 100%. that information you're talking about, it's, well, actually, no, that part there over there in, in the DAO doesn't, it's not relevant to perhaps this this part. So the, those those people um, who are part of that area yeah. are most kind of, I guess, involved in making that decision and yeah. consequently... Getting an outcome. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so look, I, I think, um, at least in my view, I think over the next 10 years, we're going to see more experimentation into mm. whatever that becomes. Yeah. It may not be DAO like people talk about them today or like right. they're defined today, yes. but some version of mm. uh, thinking about, fundamentally thinking about 
hierarchy and org structures and op models differently. Mm. Um, and adopting at least the principles of it to fundamentally shake things up. Mm. Um, the, uh, I think the other thing that is still not settled and will continue to evolve over the, ne the next 10 years is our um, continued struggle with the recognition around how effective or ineffective distributed teams are mm. and work from home. I mean, COVID forced the issue. Yes. It forced a lot of people who said it could never work to shut up because, well, guess what? Clearly it clearly worked. worked. Um, and now, of course, there's the, the, the pushback of the, no, 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 you got to now come into the office um, and the lawsuits that happen and unions get involved. <laughs> yeah. It's a big deal now because people is. got a taste for it and they're like, yeah. no, 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 I'm never going back to that, yep. which I fully support, by the way. <laughs> um, but I, I think we still have, over the next 10 years, that will still continue to evolve on whether it's the technology, yes, right? We all now have goggles that hopefully don't cost $8 million to be in virtual workshops hopefully. together. Um, I think that's what they cost now. Maybe it's, maybe it's only seven. Seven, the price yeah, might come down. seven and a half. Um, but I think over the next years, we're still gonna see that evolve. Mm. And um, I don't know which way it's gonna go yet. Um, I know where I'd like it to go, and I, I know what I would recommend but I don't know where it's going to go. But I still think, maybe not 10, but at least over the next five, that conversation around um, how you properly build and run and manage teams of people, organizations, communities to achieve some outcome and live some purpose who aren't sitting across the table from one another. Mm. Um, because it's, it's an answer that needs to be, um, or something that needs to be answered, right? Yeah. We need to come to something that, but I and think there's probably no one answer for that. No, there can't be. There mm. can't be because everything is different, right? Yeah. So, um, I will freely admit that I have yet to solve the problem of all of the um, retail store workers working from home. Yeah. I haven't figured that one out yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure somebody's working on it, but I just don't. In my little brain, just can't picture that one yet. Um, Everything's e-commerce. That's how that, that's how that gets fixed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, let's hope not, because I hate <laughs> buying shoes online. It just drives me nuts. Um, I still want to go to the store to do yeah. that, and I want the knowledgeable person in there to help me because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but there are, it, there is, there's no way that it will be a one size fits all. Yeah. Um, there'll be no one size fits all solution, but I think there can be a common set of principles that, in this context, context, it works well. And in this context, it doesn't work well. When you find yourself needing to achieve this outcome, we have evidence that this is better, or we don't. And we have, or we have the opposite. We have evidence actually the opposite is better. Um, so I think that's the other thing. And it, I suppose just to round it out, um, the other thing that I think will continue to evolve, especially in the operation space, or I'm hoping will continue to evolve, um, is the use of new emerging techs like, you know, whatever generative AI or things like um, ChatTPP or BART or whatever everybody's preference is or some of the other newer technologies that are coming out because they're, uh, and this is, this is essentially what I'm doing now mm. to try to prepare for those, is there are these amazing technologies that are out there now um, that will it take everybody's job, well, it might take your title, um, but it, 
at the moment, it's not, it doesn't necessarily can achieve your purpose. Right. So my title isn't tied to my purpose. I can still do my purpose, right? In some other way. So, but because I think, you know, there's so much to explore in the decentralized organization space. There's so much to explore in really nailing down proper global distributed uh, delivery and mm. execution and just engagement and collaboration yes. in companies and in communities, how we do that. Because there's so much work to do there. Um, what I'm doing is trying to learn as much as I can about how I can use those emerging technology tools to take all of the day-to-day -day mundane stuff off my plate so I can think about those things, mm. right? Um, and I think the, the more that people do that and the more they get comfortable with doing that, and I, I realize there are risks and there are certain things you should never type into a chat GPT <laughs> window or things like that. So there are rules, fine, um, and those rules will evolve. But um, in the next 10 years, there'll be more and more adoption of that is my, my yeah. uh, it's not a prediction, it's already happening, right? So it'll just continue to grow and people will get more and more sophisticated as those tools continue to evolve and how it can do that day-to-day um, -day stuff. What's defined as mundane will continue to expand as it gets better and better. Um, but I, you, I think the, you know, the generative thing is well, we're going we're gonna to get the technology to do that stuff so that the people can do the more creative stuff because they're not there yet. And that's what I want to do. Mm. So how can I use these things to manage all those things that I, that's taking up all of my time and all the doing? Yes. Let it do that and figure out good ways to do that so that I can now spend time thinking about what's the next uh, version of an organization that has no hierarchy and people can do these things and this is and they work in all over the world and this is how they connect that's the stuff that gets me excited so you want to you want to have more time to innovate i want to have more time to innovate yeah uh, i want to have more time to be creative mm. um, which usually leads to what others will consider to be innovative yes yep. right i do something that's creative and you can usually define what people mean by that when you ask someone, was this innovative? Um, oftentimes what they're thinking is, does it seem creative to them or not? Uh, was it a creative solution? So I want to be more creative. I want to, and in order to produce more innovative solutions. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I guess so to, to round out this great conversation, and I really appreciate your time. Um, so what's the one skill you've relied on in your life to meet change, to affect change, whatever it might be. And would you share an experience yeah. that's, uh, that illustrates that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, it, um, understanding that, you know, this is my answer. Yeah. And it's going to be quite personal for everybody. Um, but the one, if I had to pick one skill out of all of them that I've had to practice still continue to struggle with and still continue to try to practice that helps me get through change is resilience. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are others. I think, I think courage plays a part in it um, because of the, you, you mentioned earlier around the, the unknown in the future, right? Um, there's going to be fear around that. So it takes courage yeah. to step into that fear. Uh, I think it's important. I think being measured is important and just sort of taking a beat and not flying off the handle is important adaption is good but to me none of those matter um, 
if I can't demonstrate resilience in the face of change because mm. I'm going to go through that process. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes I hate it. Um, when I love it, it's going to take me time to get my head around and get used to the people who do hate it. Yeah. And when I hate it, I've got I've to be able to weather the storm of that cycle of I'm mad yeah. and I'm whinging to my colleagues and I go home and I drive my partner nuts because it's all <laughs> I want to shut up about it. Um, and this is the end of the world. Um, and then you just, you, you hit that, you just down, right? Mm. And you're sort of quiet for a little while. Um, but having the resilience to weather that, get yourself through that journey to me is, or at least in my life mm. has been the most critical still skill that I've been able to develop and try to continue to practice because, um, it just takes time and in my experience, the only counter to that time is developing the ability to get through it. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's the only thing that, uh, only thing we can do to get us to the, get us through to that next thing. Yeah. And so experience for me, right. I, this is a couple of companies ago, um, but just to demonstrate it. So I, I joined an organization, was really excited about it. This was a we're going to do something innovative. We're going to start up a whole new division and we're going to pack it with innovative thinkers and we're going to do things differently and we're going to shake things up and we got all the support. It's going to, this is awesome, right? <laughs> Amazing. You're going to come in um, and you're working and you're working with really smart people, man, and stuff's getting done. Really delivering some value. This is just feels good. You love to get, you, you show up early at work because you're just excited to be there. Yeah. You stay late because you're just excited to get the next thing done. Um, you know, fast forward 18 months later, you show up for work, you've got the um, emergency team meeting <laughs> in 15 minutes that wasn't there last night. Uh-oh, right? Execs gone, team dismantled. Um, these people are probably leaving. All, you know, like, oh, just all falls apart. Right? Mm. So, so for me, um, you, you you kind of have two ways to respond to that. You'd be like, ah, oh, uh, just this is not why I joined. There's no, there's n nobody's giving me any answers. I'm, I'm out. Mm -hmm. I just leave. Um, but for me, it, it, it was bringing up just sort of as much as I can, propping myself up with a bit of resilience and trying to practice that skill as much as I can. Okay, um, let's take a, take a beat here. Um, allow myself the time to be upset and think about it. Um, do I go fill out, do I update my CV? Do I, no, no, I'm just, I'm just going to hold off and I'm going to think about this a little bit more and then I'm going to talk to some people and I'm going to, so, um, that, that was a scenario hmm. where I think if I didn't have the resilience, you're, you're into month one, with no answers. And then month two with no answers, not really sure where things are going. Um, not really uh, is there something here for me? Is there not? Um, but instead of just making the decision to bail, right? So no, no I'm gonna I'm gonna stick this out. I'm gonna see this. I'm gonna see where this goes, uh, because I still think there's something I can do here. I just can't put my finger on how I'm gonna do it yet. But my purpose hasn't changed, and I still see an opportunity, a need for my purpose to deliver value to somebody. So I'm gonna stick it out a little while. Mm. Um, in that particular instance, it it paid off, right? By, by doing some digging and meeting with the right people and getting some answers, you're like, okay. I get it now. I understand why we need this. Um, 
but without uh, sort of leveraging that ability or that that skill that I try to continue to practice around just being resilient and trying to weather the storm and trying not to make rash decisions. Let me think this through before I do something. Um, is uh, is something that gets me through change, good or bad, long term, short term. Um, it's okay. I can weather this storm, um, and um, I'm going to be all right. So resilience, that's great. No, I really appreciate that. That's uh, mark number one for the skill to uh, to consider. So I hope but so. Look, look, just to just to sum up. Thank you, Scott, for thank all, you. all your time, um, your unique perspective, and and uh, the real skill that you bring to a conversation like this. Do you have anything that uh, you've got going on in your life that you want to share? Yeah, look, um, I, Kinshara, as you mentioned, my founder at 10% Labs. Yeah. So um, we're also going to be launching a new podcast sometime Fantastic. in a couple of months. Um, the name of the podcast is Ops Innovator. Uh, and it's going to be all around trying to engage thought leaders uh, in the operational space all around the world in all kinds of different industries to, um, uh, like I said, bring the future forward, right? Mm. What would it mean to do stuff differently? And you're doing that in healthcare, and how can you apply that in insurance? And mm. what does that mean for your startup? And, and um, so we're going to be doing that. So it's really exciting. Uh, thank you for asking. And uh, you see that coming in sometime in the next couple of months. Awesome. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Thanks, Ray. My thanks to Scott Williams. His book is named The Atomic Innovation Handbook and it's for sale through the Amazon link in the show notes. His podcast, Ops Innovator, is coming soon. Albert Einstein once said, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. How we organize to solve our problems today provides insights into our measure of collective intelligence and our potential to create a positive future for all of us. The Changeable is created and produced by me, Ray Pucky. Our theme music is Night Sky by Oh Boy. Please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. I'd especially love your feedback and input, which you can share with me at thechangeable.co. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>